We'll start reading in verse 20. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning, we thank You for Your great love for us that reaches to the heavens, for Your faithfulness that's like a mountain underneath our feet. God, we thank You that though we, uh, we change and sometimes we're hot and sometimes we're cold toward You, sometimes we're faithful, sometimes we're faithless, God, we thank You that You never shift, You never change in Your commitment to us as Your children. And so, God, I pray that we as your children might come back to the rock this morning, that we might gather again at the foot of Mount Sinai as Jesus Christ brings down the covenant to us. God, I pray that as as you minister to our hearts this morning, that you might call us closer to you, that you might help us to put off everything that would hinder us from following Christ. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has questions about the Christian faith, if they're sort of looking into this whole thing, maybe they've been out of church for years and they're just starting to put their toe back into church, God, I pray that they might find Christ this morning and that You, Lord God, would begin speaking to their hearts so that they might begin that wonderful experience of walking with the Lord Jesus. So God, be with us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, what is it with people and their cars and getting angry inside our cars. What is this? You know, even mild-mannered, quiet people get inside their cars and suddenly we're free to just flip out and be angry at others. I was driving home the other uh, day about maybe six months ago, sometime earlier this year, I'm trying to remember when, but I was going south on Route 53 and I was just about to take a left onto my road and there's another car coming north on Route 53, some lady in the car. And if, if you know that stretch of Route 53, it's a 40-mile-an-hour road there. Now, if you translate that into Massachusetts terms, that means people are at least going 50. <clears throat> so you've got a fast road. And I'm, I'm waiting, so I, I come to a stop. I'm waiting to take the left. People are passing me on the right. You know how this is. This lady comes to a full stop on this 50-mile-an-hour road so that I can take a left in front of her. Now, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm hesitant to take the left, and I have two reasons for not wanting to take the left. One is, 
I'm really afraid that someone might pass her on the right. You know how people do that? So that I could be taking a left, they could come around the right, and then pow, and, and I would be liable for that one. So that's one reason I'm hesitant. But you know, the other reason I'm hesitant is just the principle of the whole thing. There's something about people, and I'll just say it around here, <clears throat> that they disregard the traffic laws that are in the books, but they make up other traffic laws that they obey very religiously. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Keep it going. All right. I'm really glad. I, I'm just getting this off my chest. I'm feeling better even as I do it. <sighs> so, you know, it's like... <laughs> The point of traffic laws, if I could just say, is, is that it makes driving predictable. That's the whole point of having traffic laws. It's that I can predict what you're going to do because I, I know what the laws are and so I suspect what you're going to do. And so it's safe. That's why we have laws. So anyway, this lady's staring at me and I'm staring at her and I just decide, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm sitting there. She's looking at me. Traffic's piling up behind her. I'm looking at her. So she gives me the, you know, and I give her the. She gets a little more animated. She's like, and I get more animated. I'm like, then she's flashing her lights at me. So I flash my lights at her. And so finally, you know, she can't take it. She peels out, and as she goes by me, you know, we, you got to look at each other, you know, and, and I'm telling you, her teeth are bared, her eyes are like this wide. She's like. You know, just like flipping out inside her car, just going insane with rage. I'm just looking. I mean, 10 seconds ago, she was like Mother Teresa of Route 53, you know. <laughs> oh, no, you go, you go. And like 10 seconds later, she's the Tasmanian devil. And she's just spinning around in her car. And I think I even had a sighting of the Massachusetts State Bird. I mean, it was, it was a crazy, crazy kind of thing. And then the thing is, of course, I'm driving away from this. I take a left onto my road, and now I'm fuming too. I'm like, tell me to take a left. I'll take a left when I want to take a left. And you drive your car, and I'll drive my car. And I come home, and now I'm steamed. You know, this, I don't know what it is. Anger is something we all deal with. It comes out in our cars. It comes out in our homes. It comes out in the office. Uh, some of us, boy, we really wrestle with this issue of anger. That's what Paul is talking about today. He's got some great practical wisdom for us on anger. Look at verse 26 of chapter 4. <clears throat> he says, In your anger, do not sin. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 4 there. He says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. For those of you just joining us this Sunday, if this is your first Sunday here, we're we're glad that you're here. We're studying through Ephesians. And uh, what we've been looking at lately is the fact that when Christ comes into our lives, when you become a Christian, a radical transformation takes place. And it's so radical that we begin to ch uh, change the way that we behave and live. So that we, as it says in verse 22, we put off the old self. Verse 23, we're made new. And verse 24, we put on the new self. So then in verses 25 and following, what Paul is doing is he's giving specific examples of what the putting off, putting on looks like. He's taking the general idea of put off the old self, put on the new self in Christ, and he's giving a lot of for instances of how that works out in daily living. So if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at verse 25 and we saw that it means 
putting off falsehood and lies, and putting on, excuse me, truth-telling. And then today we look at anger, and then next Sunday we're going to look at the issue of stealing. We put off stealing, and instead we put on hard work and charity. So it's the idea of putting off and uh, putting on. And so today it's the issue of anger. Verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, I'm fascinated by this line, In your anger do not sin. It's very interesting, that, that verse, because I think it captures the two sides of anger. I think this verse shows us both sides of the anger coin. That on the one hand, anger is, if we can use the word cautiously, normal. That anger is expected. But on the other hand, it's very dangerous and always leads to sin. There's these two aspects of the anger coin. Uh, In your anger, do not sin. That's the one side. In your anger, do not sin. And then uh, the other side is be careful because it can lead you into to greater sin. So I want to look at both sides of this anger coin. First of all, the fact that anger is normal, in a sense. Anger is expected. It's part of human experience. It says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, the apostle is assuming that people get mad. Anger happens. It, it happens in life. In one sense, anger is just a reaction. It's an emotional, physiological response to stimuli at one level. Uh, your heart rate increases, your breathing increases, your adrenal glands uh, secrete, your arterial pressure goes up, and, and you feel all the blood rushing into your vital organs, and you can feel yourself hulking out, you know? All this energy comes into your body because anger has happened, and so it's a response. So at one level, that's all anger is, is it's a response to something else. And in that sense, it's normal. It's something that God built into us. It's a defense mechanism of sorts, as, as people say. A lot of different things cause us anger. Pain causes anger. Hit your ham- thumb with a hammer. Ooh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty even-tempered person. I, I don't blow up a lot. But I'll tell you, if I get in pain, that's the one thing that will make me want to put my fist through a wall. And, you know, Jennifer knows I'll, like, stub my toe on something, and I'm just... You know, everyone just runs out of the room until Daddy calms down. Uh, it, you know, pain causes anger. Another thing that, that causes anger is uh, what we might call a, a blocked goal. You have something that you want to see accomplished in your life, or in, and it doesn't come to pass, and so you're mad. Uh, it's the two-year-old with the temper tantrum. You know, they don't get what they want. You know, they get angry. Or you build a nice fort, and a little brother comes along, and he knocks it down. Oh, you know, your goal was to have this nice fort, and instead it got wiped out and, and knocked over. Or, or, or uh, you know, you're trying to get to a movie on time. This is very hypothetical. You're trying to get to a movie on time, and you know the time it's supposed to start. You want to be there early, but people just aren't leaving the house as quickly as you'd like them to leave. And so you have, you know, hypothetically, of course, you have this uh, goal of, of wanting to get to a place on time, and you're moving at a certain speed, but because of other issues, uh, you know, other people aren't moving at the same speed, and you start getting mad. You're like, where is this coming from? Well, I had this goal in my head, that I wanted to see accomplished, and now it's being blocked. You you try your hardest to win the field hockey game or the soccer game, and and you throw yourself into it and you lose. Oh, you know, why are you so angry? Well, the goal was blocked. So pain causes anger. Blocked goals cause anger. Injustice causes anger. Hurts from other people cause anger. Have you ever been slandered behind your back? Have you had someone spread lies about you behind your back? Did it make you feel angry? 
Well, it should. <laughs> That's wrong. And, and, and we respond to injustice like that with anger. It's normal to feel that way about injustice and sin and betrayal. Have you ever been deeply betrayed by somebody? Did somebody ever stab you in the back that you thought was your friend? Did you feel angry about it? Well, you should. It's normal to feel angry about such things. Do you get angry when you hear about corruption in the government? Do you get angry when you hear about scandals in the church? Do you get angry when you hear about malfeasance in the school system? Well, you should, because it's normal to respond in anger to injustice. It, it, it's, a, it's a cause with, that makes the reaction of anger happen inside of us. In fact, theologians have a term for this. They call it righteous indignation. It's the idea that I'm indignant for right reasons, that I'm righteously indignant about some situation. When I think in the Bible of righteous indignation, one of the pictures that comes to my mind is Moses. When he's coming down the mountain, he's got the Ten Commandments. You know this scene? He's, come, he's been on the, the mountain. The people have made a covenant with God. He's coming down with those two tablets of the law. And he comes down to the camp, and what does he find? The people are worshiping the golden calf. They've just been led out of Egypt by God with miracles and a mighty hand. They've already lost it, and now they're worshiping idols. And Moses is so mad, and it says in, in Exodus 32 that Moses burned with anger. And he takes the two tablets, and he smashes them against the ground. And he had the right response. He should have been angry that the people whom God had led out of Egypt like a loving father had brought them out of Egypt through great miracles suddenly turn their back on God. And, and Moses just, oh, he can't believe it. The ultimate uh, proof, though, that anger in and of itself is not sinful is the fact that the most angry person in the Bible is God. If you look, the, look up the word anger in the Bible, either the Greek word orge or the Greek word thumos, and check it out in Scripture and see who's angry, most of the references are to God. In fact, uh, it's called his wrath. That's the way you'll see it often translated. They'll, they'll talk about the wrath of God. But that's the idea that God is angry. When God looks down at this world that he made, this world that he's given everything to, and this world has totally gone away from him and rebelled against him. I mean, there's no end of things for which God should be angry against in this world. And so he, he's a God of wrath. It's not because he's mean and grumpy. It's because we deserve it. We're the ones who have given him reason for wrath because we've turned against him. So in that sense, anger is just a reaction. Anger is normal to a degree. Anger is a natural response to pain or to blocked goals or to injustice and hurt that we experience. That's one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is that anger, even when it's justified, almost immediately leads us to sin. That's the other side of the coin. Is that anger, even though it is normal, even though the, the pilot light of anger kicking on in my heart is a very natural response, I also have sin in my heart, and sin almost immediately grabs that pilot light and starts to light everything on fire. Sin takes the natural response of anger and does terrible things with it. Yes, it is a normal flame within us, but on the other hand, I have the dry kindling of sin in my, in my life, and, and that that fire comes on and immediately it sets off an inferno. And that's what Paul says here back in verse 26. In your anger, yes, you are going to get angry in life, do not sin. Anger, I would say, almost invariably in human beings, leads to sin. 
it, it almost never has good consequences. Even when we are righteously indignant against something, if that anger stays there very long, it almost immediately gets turned and co-opted and used for evil purposes. Uh, and you know how it works. I mean, you do something to hurt me, and now I'm angry, and I'm ticked off that you did something to hurt me. Now that the pilot light of anger has kicked on in my soul, and I'm justifiably angry, and so what do I do? I immediately begin sinning with this anger as justification. I go to you and I say, oh, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did to me. And I begin to gossip, I begin to slander, I begin to form factions and parties against the person who hurt me. It's, so yeah, it's justified anger, but ah, justification is a very dangerous thing in the human heart. It, it's very dangerous to feel justified in our actions because we do all kinds of things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And you say, what are you doing that for? Well, look what someone did to me. And so, so quickly, anger turns into sin. It just happens so naturally. Or a verdict comes down, and the verdict is unjust, and the people say, oh, the verdict is unjust. So they, and they loot, and they kill, and they burn. And none of that is right. But there's a justification in their minds. Well, it's because of that injustice over there, and therefore we're right to do whatever we want and burn down a city, even though this injustice was done. You say, but that's just as unjust. That's how it works in sinful human beings. The pilot light of anger is quickly hijacked by sin and used to set fires all over the place. Uh, sin is, anger is a dangerous thing. That's why when you look in the Bible at the topic of human anger, you'll find that it's almost always put in the category of sin. Even though technically anger is just an emotional reaction to something, Realistically, it leads to sin, and so the Bible takes anger and it puts it in the category of sin because that's just where it goes. In fact, take out your sermon notes for a minute. Let me show you what I mean. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 is so unique because it's one of the few verses that indicate the other side of the anger coin. But most of the time, anger is lumped in with sin. Look at your sermon notes on the, the front and the middle. It says, The Old Testament on the dangers of anger. Psalm 37.8 says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Proverbs 12.16. Proverbs 29.8. Mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. I love, this is my favorite one, Proverbs 30.33. I just really enjoy this, the imagery. For as churning the milk produces butter... And as twisting the nose produces blood, <laughs> so stirring up anger produces strife. What a great image. So yeah, anger is a normal reaction, but 99, not, 99 times out of 100, it immediately leads to sin, strife, and destruction if it's left unchecked. The godless in heart harbor resentment. Or look on the back. Here's some New Testament passages. And what we find there is that the Apostle Paul typically puts anger among the vice lists. Paul has virtue lists and he has vice lists. And, and among the vices, he typically puts anger in there. Even though technically speaking, again, Paul knows that anger is a reaction, yet because of the way it gets handled by us as humans, he puts it in the vice list. 2 Corinthians 12.20. Paul says, For I am afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, 
Oh, I'm just venting. No, no, no. <laughs> Outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. So anger is tied in with all kinds of conflict. Or Galatians 5, 19-21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. And here we go. Here's the conflict vices. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Or look down a couple more down to the, I guess that would be the fifth one. Titus 1.7. This is interesting. These are the qualifications for an elder in the church. If, you wanna, if someone desires to be an elder or an overseer, here's some of the qualifications. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered. It makes sense. Because if someone's a hothead and they're in charge of the church, their anger is going to have drastic consequences. Like Seth said, uh, there's an old African proverb, when the elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. And when, the, when, the, when people who are in charge are, are angry and express their anger, it's, it has a lot bigger consequence than when someone who's just new to the church is angry about something. And so for that reason, you know, hotheads need not apply. I mean, you've you got to be calm. You've got to be able to control anger. Oh, I love James 1. This is my favorite one of all the verses. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That righteousness is not accomplished by me flying off the handle. Anger, even though an injustice has been done to me, by being angry and responding in anger, it will not bring justice to the situation. In your anger, do not sin. <clears throat> and then we have this chilling little verse, verse 27, where it says, do not give the devil a foothold. When I allow anger to, to reside in my heart, I'm giving the devil an open door. It's a, a wide open opportunity for Satan to come into my life and use me however he wants. Once I'm angry, I'm pliable. Once the, the, the sail of anger has gone up in my heart, Satan can blow me around wherever he wants. And so it's a great opportunity for the devil to use me uh, according to his purposes. Just like when you're drunk, you're out of control, you're uninhibited, you do all kinds of things and say all kinds of things you regret, so when you're angry, you do all kinds of things and say all kinds of things that you regret because Satan takes that as an opportunity to push us wherever he wants. So anger is... Yes, it's a reaction, but it leads to, to dangerous things. I was talking about this with my wife, and she uh, reminded me of a poem by William Blake, the sort of eccentric 18th century poet. I don't know if you're familiar with some of his stuff. He's a rather bizarre fellow, but uh, he, he wrote a poem called A Poison Tree, and it's a poem about the way that anger, unaddressed, leads to greater sins and eventually becomes lethal. It's a short poem. I'll read it to you. Blake writes... I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath, and my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not, and my wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears. I sunned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine, and he knew that it was mine. 
and into my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning glad I see my foe outstretched beneath the tree. Chilling. That's what happens. How do people get violent and hurt each other? Because anger grows and it turns into violence. It's all connected in our hearts. And so, because of the danger of anger, because it is such a fire inside our souls, in fact, it's set on fire by hell, that fire is so dangerous, we have to, as quickly as possible, address anger in our hearts. The second the pilot light of anger kicks on in my soul, I've got to be on it. Because if I don't address it, it's going to go all kinds of places that I never would want it to go if, if I was calm and sane and thinking things through rationally. And that's why Paul says in verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. As quickly as you can, get on top of anger and deal with it. Because otherwise, it's going to do all kinds of damage. As quickly as possible, you have to address anger. Before the sun goes down. Today, before, when is sunset today? 7.30? Before 7.30, if you're ticked about something, Deal with it before 7.30. That's your time. Because once that sun goes down, you're into the next day, and now anger is growing like the poison tree in Blake's poem. How do we deal with anger then? What is it that Paul wants us to do with anger? Uh, well, maybe we can think practically here. And There's at least three things I think we should do when we're angry. Three things that we can do to address anger. And I could perhaps summarize them with three R's. The first R is find the root of the anger just to get real practical application here. Find the root of the anger. As, as they say, get in touch with your anger. <laughs> yeah, get in touch with it. Why are you so mad? You know, think about it. If, if anger is a reaction to something, what am I reacting against? Do you know? Do you know why you're so mad or are you just angry? Have you stopped thinking about it? Figure it out. It's, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's kind of tricky. Uh, my child will do something in the van and I'll explode at them. Ah, why'd you do this? And you know, they were being naughty, but the problem is their naughtiness was about this big, and my response of anger was like about this big. So then I have to ask, I've got to step back and say, okay, yeah, what they did was bad, and of course I should have been a little upset at that, but why was I this upset? And I need to think about that. I've got to do some self-examination. Maybe you have to go to someone you know and trust and say, do you know what it is that might be setting me off like this? Because I'm, I'm responding like this to things that are about this big. Can you help me out thinking through this? So we've got to get in touch with the roots of our anger. And generally speaking, this is a huge generalization, but you can kind of boil down anger and its causes to at least one of two things. Either one, it's a blocked goal. It's a circumstance in life that is frustrating me that's not going the way I want it to go. I, I wanted life to go this way, and it's gone this way, and I'm frustrated because it's not going the way I wanted it to go. This is not how I wanted my life to head. And so I'm frustrated. So it's either a blocked goal. It needs to be a person who has done you a wrong. Whether that's, generally speaking, like a, an institution in society or a specific person in your life. Uh, you know, whether it's 9-11, you just feel anger at the evil of it, or whether it's a close friend who has hurt you. It, it's some injustice. So either it's a blocked goal or some injustice. Generally speaking, you can typically put it in one of those two main categories. So first you've got to figure out what's making you mad. What am I responding to? And oftentimes, once you figure that out, you know, you're, you're halfway there to 
the calming down because you, you understand what's happening, what, what this reaction is doing inside of you. The second thing you need to do is when appropriate, the second R is reconcile. To quickly, if it's a person who's hurt you and it's appropriate, to quickly go to that person and to say, you know, I, I don't know if you meant this, I don't know if this is the way you intended it, but let me tell you, when you did this, I was really mad. It really hurt me. And a lot of times, personal go, oh, I'm, wow, I didn't realize that. That's not what I meant at all. And sometimes you can resolve it that way. But before the sun goes down, talk to that person. My wife and I have at least two rules for when we fight. One rule is we never argue after 10 o'clock. That's just one of our rules. Because we know after 10 o'clock, we're tired, and it just goes like, you know. We don't even know what we're talking about anymore. The other rule we have for fighting is that we try to get things resolved before we go to sleep. And we've been really good about that. And I just have to tell you, it's, it's been a wonderful thing to not have resentment and issues building up over time. You know, before we go to bed, when I lay down next to her, I want to be glad that I'm laying down next to her to go to sleep at night. I don't want to go, you know, with this sort of imaginary wall between us in the bed. And so uh, whoever it is, whatever friend you have, whatever relationship, if you can, Quickly move to address the person, if, if that's appropriate. You know, some things you can just kind of forgive and forget. Other things it's hard to do, and maybe you need to go talk to the person. So we need to, one, root it out. Find the root. Number two, reconcile, if that's appropriate. But then number three, I think this is the most important one. We have to replace the anger with something else. We have to make an exchange. Take the pilot light of anger in my soul and exchange it for another flame. I have to take something else and put it in my heart. So, so it's not just that we're repressing anger, but that we're, we're exchanging it for something. And what is it that we should replace anger with in our hearts? May I suggest it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith in Jesus Christ is the ultimate cure for anger. You feel a blocked goal in your life. Has life turned against you? Did you not get the job that you wanted or the girl that you wanted or the, didn't get into the school that you wanted to get into? Or maybe you have a child that you were trying to make them go this way and they're just going this way. You feel angry by that blocked goal. Has an illness befallen you that's made you angry? Did someone die and you're like, why did that person die? I don't understand the circumstances of my life, God, and it's making me angry. Maybe you're angry at God for the circumstances in your life. You know, God can handle that. Talk to him about that. And we feel angry because of these circumstances. I'm telling you, my friend, you've got to lift up your eyes and see the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him and exchange that anger for faith. Look at Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised. And He's sitting next to the Father. Can you see Him? And as He sits on the throne in heaven... He's in total control of this universe. He is on the throne of, of glory and power. And everything that's happening in your life is happening because God has allowed it to happen for a specific purpose. And so when you feel that anger, that frustration that life is not working out, you've got to lift your eyes up and say, Oh, Jesus, I don't understand why this is happening to me, but I put my faith in you in these circumstances. And I want to exchange this frustration for faith. And I want to believe that you are working for my ultimate good, even though right now I have no idea how that could be the case. But exchange your anger for faith in Him. Or maybe you're angry because somebody has hurt you, because somebody has wounded you, because something in society is, makes you angry. 
some political institution or religious institution or whatever it is, has something hurt you or done you an injustice, again, I would call you, lift up your eyes above the hills. See the Lord Jesus Christ seated on the throne. Do you see Him there? His arms still have the scars from where He was crucified. His side still has the scar from where He was pierced. Will you really look at Him who was crucified to forgive you and still hold on to your grudge? Can you really look at Him who was crucified and still be angry and pretend that you're going to be the policeman who's going to bring vengeance in this world? My friend, turn it over to Christ. Say, Jesus, I want to forgive my enemies and I'm going to let you take care of the police work. All right? He's already on His throne. His sword is in His hand. He's ready to come back and judge this world. Stop worrying about the people who hurt you. Worry about yourself. Are you right with the Lord? Because He is the one who brings out the vengeance. He is the one who takes care of the police work of the universe. And so I have to come to a place of faith and say, God, I've been deeply hurt. I'm deeply frustrated. This person has betrayed me. This person abused me. This person has, has stabbed me in the back. But Jesus, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let you take care of all the heavy lifting. I'm just going to put my faith in you that you are a just judge who can handle the wrongs of this universe and bring justice. Take that off my hands. Let me, Lord, just love my enemies. I'll let you take care of the justice of my enemies. God has called us to live in peace. God has called us to live in joy as Christians. He doesn't want us to live in a constant state of anger and turmoil. He's called us to a peace that passes understanding. But in order to receive that, we have to lift up our eyes and let our vision be filled up with Christ. Is there anything else besides Christ that's filling your vision this morning? I, I just call you, this is a daily discipline for me. I've got to keep pushing things down. They're trying to block my vision of Christ. Lift your eyes up and see Christ alone and you will be saved. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess that even anger, which is something you gave us, that you built into us, even anger gets twisted by sin. Oh Lord, we look at our own lives and we see how fallible we are. God, we pray that you might have mercy upon us, that you might forgive us our sins. God, give us the grace we need to be able to forgive other people. Lord, this is the hardest thing, to forgive wounds. Especially, God, some of us here have deep wounds. Some of us here were abused and hurt and hit as children. Some of us here have been betrayed deeply by a closest loved one. But God, I pray that by your Spirit this morning, you would give grace to each of us to forgive, that we might be able to let people off the hook and trust that you will keep them on your hook that you will be the one who sorts out mercy and justice, not us. God, I pray, enable us to be free from anger. God, you've called us to a life of freedom, and I pray that we might walk in it, that we might not be bound up with anger and strife anymore. God, let this be a church where we can speak openly with each other, where we can share our grievances and be reconciled quickly so that anger might not build up in this church like a time bomb. God, I pray that especially for my own heart. I pray that I might not have any anger building inside of me like that poison tree that Blake wrote about. Help me, Lord, to forgive quickly and to walk in peace and joy with my brothers and sisters. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.